Okay, so the thing that makes this church so great is that we apply these core values to our lives. The reason that our hearts are here is because our finances are here. The reason that we have great relationships is because we learn how to forgive quickly. Uh, the reason that, 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 that you really love the people in the atmosphere is because we're not selfish. We love to serve one another. And of course, today we're going to talk about we respect. But you got to think, if you like this place so much and you love it like you do, if you don't apply these to your life, you won't last here. You won't add to what solid rock is. It is what it is because these four core values that God gave me years ago for this church. So some quick scriptures I'm going to read to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this. The body of Christ. Everybody say body. body. Has many parts and all the members. Everybody say members. members. Form that one body. Ephesians 4, 16. From Christ, the whole body. Say body. body. The church and all its parts is closely, closely joined. Closely joined. That word joined comes from a Greek word that got later translated into Latin. Uh, that it's like a medical term that uh, it, it's, it's what joins your ligaments and your skin. And it, it's what holds our body together, held together. So when each part does its work, the whole body grows through love. When each part does its work. So I have a question for you before we get into today's sermon. And that is this. Uh, can somebody be a Christian but not be a member of the body. In other words, can they be a Christian and not be a member of a local church? Is it possible? Is it possible to be a Christian but not be joined to a church? And the answer is yes, that is possible. And I have a picture of what that looks like today. This is my friend, Mr. Thing. Mr. Thing was the star of what TV show? Adam's Family back in the old people days. And so Mr. Thing... Um, he has the potential, and if you're listening by CD, I'm holding a fake plastic hand. He has the potential to play the guitar and lead people in worship. Mr. Thing has the potential to serve communion and the elements to the body of Christ. Mr. Thing has the, the capability um, to bring water bottles to the pastor. Mr. Thing has the capability of encouraging people and high-fiving them and passing out bulletins. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mr. Thing... <laughs> will never fulfill his God-given destiny because he's not attached to the rest of the body. Amen. As long as he's all by himself, he will never do what God called him to do and never be who God called him to be. He can sit in a church his entire life and attend it and never be a member closely joined and held together to the rest of the body. Uh, detached body parts are unhealthy. And don't let anybody ever fool you. If you meet somebody and they're the most spiritual person and they talk the good Christian lingo, you know, they know all the right phrases and they know scripture. But if they are not a member of a church body serving, listen real close, they're incredibly immature and unhealthy. And I don't mean that rude. I'm just saying that the way we grow in how to forgive is by being closely joined to somebody that offends us. If you're not part of a body, and I realize that it's, a lot of times it's difficult nowadays with relationships and people are scared to step out in faith and they've been hurt in the past. But the only way you'll ever learn how to forgive is if you get close with somebody that offends you and does your own. The only way your heart will ever be in a place is when you love the people enough to give financially to help everyone around you. There's something so special and unique about being part of a local church. It's the hope of the world. Look at the news for five minutes and you'll realize the hope of this world, the only hope left is Jesus Christ through the local body. Amen. It's not going to come through the news. It's not going to come at your workplace. And it's definitely not going to come in the schools. 
the, the hope of the world, the only hope we have left is you and I in a church body growing, fulfilling our destiny and getting what we need to get from this place. So when we go out of this place, we can represent Jesus very, very well. Detached body parts will always be unhealthy. Okay, so today the core value I want to talk to you about is this. We respect. We respect. And listen, this is the weirdest core, val core value of any church you'll ever go to in the world. It's very unique, very weird, very unusual. But it turns out to be everybody's favorite core value after they learn what I'm going to teach you about today. It says in Romans 12, 10, love one another as members of one family and be eager to show respect to all men. So here's what I want to teach you today. Here's the gist of it. It is incredibly disrespectful for you to come to a church and place yourself in a position for us to pour into you and for you to grow and for you to hear from God. And then one of these church members, one of these friends in this family thinks that they're going to be Holy Spirit Junior for you and come and tell you how you need to live your life. And God told me to tell you, you need to do this. And if you read this book, then Jesus will heal you. And if you listen to this CD, God will bless you. And you need to raise your kids like this. You need to start growing in this area. That is incredibly disrespectful because here's what they're doing to you. They're treating you like a child. They're treating you like you cannot hear from God on your own. They're treating you like we're still in the Old Testament and you need them to hear God's will for your life. Listen real close. You don't need anybody to hear from God but Jesus. You don't even need me to hear from God. You don't need your parents to hear from God. You don't need your spouse to hear from God. You can hear from God on your own. And I ask that you be a mature believer in this place and never let anyone treat you like a child and disrespect you by trying to tell you what they think you should be doing with your life. You're in a place where you can hear from God and you're choosing to grow at the, at the order and the level that God has for you. And so many times people will come into your life and they're good people and they mean well, but they love to get in your business and be, listen, they can't even control their own life. They can't even run their, they can't even do what they want to need to be doing. And they're going to try to tell you what they think you need to be doing. Very disrespectful. So before you allow any church friend to give you advice counsel, correction, or a suggestion, they must first ask your permission and win your heart. Uh, think about going up to the worship leader. Okay, this worship leader has served you a hundred times and you say, you know what, I think y'all need to do this song over here. Whoa, 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 whoa. I've been serving you a hundred times. You've never once served me and now you're going to tell me how you think we should do. I'm just giving a suggestion. Why don't you give a bunch of praises and affirmation first? Do that about 10, 15, 20 times and then say, hey, do you mind if I give you a song that I've been listening to that we could do? It's very, very rude because these people, they pour into you and they pour into the church. And then we want to take our superior arrogance and wisdom and our revelation and we want to pour it onto somebody else when that's not what God's trying to say to them. So we have an acronym here at Solid Rock under the We Respect Core Value. If anybody tries to shove advice down your throat without asking permission, you will say... ARP, and an ARP stands for Advice Requires Permission. Isn't that a great core value? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this is really, really weird. But, you know, once you get out of the house and you're no longer under your parents' authority and you start having kids of your own and your parents call you up and say, here's how you should raise your children. Here's how you should spend your money. What do you want to say to them? You want to say, 
art. <laughs> you want to say, listen, just let me raise my kids the way I feel like God wants me to. I can hear from God on my own. Or when somebody comes, you know what? I've been noticing the clothes you've been wearing. They're just, you need to start wearing better clothes. What do you want to say to them? Because you can hear from God. You can hear from God. So I'm going to give you three points today that I hope changes your life and helps you understand the core value we respect. Point number one for your notes. God corrects me himself. The first avenue that God will reach somebody is through his Holy Spirit himself. He does not have to have you to fix somebody or change somebody. It's, we spend so much time trying to change people and we should spend more time loving people and encouraging them. That's our job as Christian friends. So I want you to say this. Say, I can hear from God, I can hear from God. all on my own. Yes, you can. Hebrews 1, 1 says this. In the past, this is the Old Testament, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But now God has spoken to us directly through his son. So listen real close. In the Old Testament, there was an avenue, a chain of command before God could speak to you. Listen, you could not talk to God in the Old Testament before Jesus. You could not hear from God. If you wanted to hear what God wanted you to do, you could not do it on your own. Here's why. You're imperfect and God is perfect. He is so perfect, he can't even talk to imperfection. He's so perfect, he can't even hear from imperfection. That's how perfect he is. So there were so, so many rules and regulations and sacrifices that had to be made from the certain people he chose to talk to. Here was the order. The first person God would find is the prophet. After the prophet, he'd go to a priest, then the king, then the judge. Then he'd go to your authority, your parents or your boss or whoever you know, hired you. And then he could reach you and he would never reach you. He'd always find somebody else. So if you wanted to hear what are God's commands, you couldn't go talk to God. You had to find the prophet Moses. Moses, tell us what God said. If you wanted to hear what song you were supposed to sing, you couldn't ask God. You had to go to King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, what song did God say to sing? And this is what it was like. This is why we don't understand how amazing it is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 10, 19, now we have complete confidence to go directly to God by the power of the blood of Jesus. You don't need a prophet. You don't need a priest. You don't need a king. You don't need a pastor. You don't need an elder. You can go to God on your own. Don't let people treat you like you can't hear from God. Do you know how confused you will be in your walk with Christ if you're taking this person and this person? I don't know what to, what to do, what to do. You need to learn how to pray and hear from God. You can do it. Children can hear from God. And all of us atheists can hear from God. I'm going to prove it to you in the Bible. Everybody can hear from God. Now, New Testament, John 10, 27, Jesus said this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. According to Jesus, what should you and I as, as his sheep learn how to hear? The voice of God. And if you don't know how, I will teach you how. I have a series back there that will teach you how to hear from God. You can hear from God. Um, in the book of Genesis, Light, L-I-G-H-T, heard the voice of God and responded at 186,000 miles per second. 
Adam heard the voice of God in the cool of the day. Noah heard God give him specific instructions on how to build a boat. Abraham heard God tell him what city to move to. Moses heard God from a bush. Balaam heard God from a donkey. Joshua heard God tell him the number of times to walk, walk around the wall. A prostitute named Rahab heard from God. A child named Samuel heard from God. An adulterer named David heard from God. A teenager named Jeremiah heard from God. Jehoshaphat heard God tell him what song to sing. Gideon heard God tell him the number of men to take into a battle. Satan! Satan heard from God! Satan, if Lucifer can hear the voice of God, you can hear the voice of God. In the New Testament, God spoke to sinners, tax collectors, fishermen, city leaders. Saul heard God through the clouds. The wind heard God say peace and it obeyed. A fig tree heard God say die. A fish heard God say swallow a gold coin. A dead body named Lazarus heard God say get up and he got up. You can hear from God. If God speaks to donkeys, fish, light, Satan, wind, murderers, prostitutes, warriors, and dead people, he speaks to you. Because all that just covered Myrtle Beach right there. He speaks to you. <laughs> it definitely covered 501 Walmart. He speaks to you. We are. <laughs> I got to write that down for next service. That was good. <clears throat> Somebody's like, I work at 501 Walmart. No, sorry. We are born in the natural with the ability to hear in the natural, but we're born again in the spirit with the ability to hear in the spirit. You can hear spirit to spirit. When you're saved, your spirit connects with God and he will speak your spirit. Now, let me show you 11 ways that God speaks and communicates. Okay, watch this with his voice, spirit to spirit. With the Bible, the written word of God that all of you are hearing right now preach. Circumstances. Listen, if you've been divorced five times, that's God telling you, you got issues. You need to do something. If you can't pay your bills, I don't care how Christian, unchristian, I don't care what you've learned about tithing or not. You know if you can't pay your bills, you're not obeying God financially. you got to understand. Or if you love money and that's all you think about, you're not honoring God financially. Circumstances speak to us for peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ act as an umpire, deciding with finality what is right and wrong in your hearts. Your conscience, number five, Romans 9.1, I belong to Christ and my conscience is ruled by the Holy Spirit. Number six, dreams and visions. Acts 2.17, God says in the last days I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your young men will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Just for the record, I'm still having visions. <laughs> Bob's been dreaming dreams for decades though, by the way. Number seven, thoughts. Hebrews 10, 16, in this new covenant, I will write my laws on their minds and their hearts. Number eight, angels. Number nine, animals. God uses animals. That, listen, Jonah figured out what God was telling him once the whale spit him up on Nineveh. God used a donkey with Balaam. He used birds with Elijah. Number 10, supernatural manifestations, burning bush, blinding light, fire from heaven. Number 11, this is the best one, I think. Natural manifestations like creation. Romans 1.20, ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities have been clearly, everybody say clearly. Yeah. Clearly seen through the things he's made so that people have no excuse at all. An atheist can hear from God by looking at the mountains and the ocean and the trees. Like, you watch this. God does all of that without you. I did not list people yet. All those ways God can speak to your long lost auntie in California. All those ways God can reach your child that's in jail. 
All those ways God can reach people across the world. He does not need you to correct everybody you see because he has 11 different ways to do it himself. Isn't that amazing? And you're worried, well, if I don't tell them that they're in sin, they'll never know. Oh, yeah, they're, they're that stupid. They have no idea. Listen, people know, even non-Christians know what God's values are. They know it. We don't have to go around being Holy Spirit juniors telling everybody. You know, a few months ago, I was meeting with um, two of my friends. There's going to be three of us hanging out. And I got there a little bit early, and one of the guys got there as well. And so while we were there, we were talking about the third guy who was coming to meet and hang out with us. And um, this third guy was going through some diff difficult stuff in life. And so we started talking about how grateful we are that this third guy's in our life. We were talking about how much we love him and how thankful and what a good guy is. And then I brought up, you know, we, we know he's going through such and such. I said, but don't worry, because I know what to say to him. You know, I've got, a, I've got a three minute sermon with three points ready to give it to him when we see him. It'll change his life, you know. And this other guy that I was with, he's not a pastor, he's not even a leader in church, but he's a lot wiser than I am. And he said to me, he said, um, he said, yeah, that sounds good, what you're gonna say. He said, but do you know what this guy's been through? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he just went through a horrible divorce. And he said, you know, he just got saved a few years ago. And then he said this to me. He said, he's been drinking for 27 years and he's now one year completely and totally sober, not touching a drop of alcohol. And here's what the guy was saying to me. He was saying this, and in essence, he was saying this. Yeah, there's a lot of things we could suggest and fix and tell him what he's doing and fix this. But why don't we just be excited for how far he's come and not focus on how far he needs to go? Do you know our relationship, even with our children, we're so quick to want to correct every little thing they do and fix this. We do it with our spouse. We get married because we love someone and we, we appreciate their qualities. And then after the ring goes on the finger, now I'm going to turn you into me. I'm going to mold you into my image. I need to make sure you do this right and this right and this different and this different. We're going to do it. No, no, that's not what God's called us to do in our friendship relationships. And so the third guy came in. We just encouraged him. We just thought, and then we just prayed. When we were done hanging out, we just prayed for him. Do you know prayer can do so much more than this great revelation that God's shown you? And the revelation you have that you want to share, it took you 20 years to get that. And then we want that person to get it in 20 minutes. Maybe God wants to take them through a similar journey like you went through to get to where you're at. I find we learn so much more when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit than when we're convicted by our friends. And leaders and people around us. Okay, point number two is this. God corrects me through authority. You have to understand, there's so much authority around us. When people become your friends in church, they're not looking for an additional authority figure. When they married, when that person married you, they weren't wanting to marry their parent. They were marrying their best friend. They're not looking for an additional authority in their life. Romans 13, 1 says this, obey those that have those that have it, listen, your husband does not have authority over you. You have to understand that. Your husband does not have authority over you. He has authority from God to bring you into oneness. He does not have authority to tell you what to do. Please understand that. 
And same thing, men, your wife, I don't care how spiritual she is and how much she loves Jesus and she can do the hokey pokey dance with the Holy Ghost, she is not your authority. Please understand, she is not your authority. There are three, for no authority can exist without God's permission. There are three types of authority on planet Earth. Okay, here's the three types of authority on planet Earth. Number one is parental authority. As long as you are still living under your parents' roof, or they're paying your cell phone bill, or they're paying your car insurance, or, you live, or you're under 18, you are under their authority. Now, here's the weird thing about parental authority. Uh, two things. The first thing is it is the most... Um, it's the highest form of authority on planet Earth. In other words, when the baby's born, the parent can do whatever they want to do with that baby. They can take the baby anywhere they want to take the baby. They can, they can put that baby anywhere they want to. They can feed it whatever they want to. They are totally in charge. But every year that child gets older, watch this, is so unusual. Every year, no other authority is like this. Every year the child gets older, the authority from the parent gets lower and lower and lower. Until the child turns 18 or has moved out of the house at whatever age, 21, 24, whatever it is. And at that point, they are no longer your authority. Now you are friends and that parent is your elder and you treat them with honor and respect as your elder. But you do not have to obey your parents once you are not under their authority. They cannot tell you when to go to bed when you're 40 years old unless you're still living in the basement, you loser. They cannot do that. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, right? Listen, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm just saying. I know some of y'all are like, thank God I brought my 40-year-old son to church today. They are no longer your thought. Okay, forget that. Y'all don't even care. Number two is this. Government, though, let me go back to point number one. So this is the reason that, because it changes like it does, that's why we need to get our children in church when they're young. Because our children need to learn that our authority does not come from how we feel or what we see on TV or the latest news or what's going on around you at school. Our authority comes from God. And so our morals have to come from God. So as I lose authority in your life, we all know and we all agree that God's word is the final authority. So if there's a problem in our relationship as you get older and have kids of your own, it's not going to be what mommy and daddy say. It's going to be what Jesus says. When you teach that when they're young, you'll still have very positive influence in their life when they're older. Okay. Number two, governmental or employer authority. Um, this is teachers. You cannot arp your teacher at school. Okay. Don't say my pastor taught this great sermon yesterday. I know you told me I need to do my math homework, but arp you. You haven't won my heart. No. You cannot arp a policeman. I've tried that several times. I caught you going 55 and a 25. I need you to win my heart, officer. Can you tell me how good I look today before you give me that? No, that's not, you can't do that. This is a governmental authority. God allowed it there. Landlord, umpire, referee, um, a youth, we'll get to that one, um, a coach in sports. These are governmental employer authorities. You cannot art them. And then number three is this ecclesiastical authority. And I left that on your notes because I didn't expect you to be able to spell it right. Ecclesiastical authority is this. Now, this is authority that you can choose. This is your pastor, your elders, your youth leader, your worship leader, your ushers. But when the usher asks you to sit somewhere and move over, you can't say no. You can choose to go to a different church, but they are your ecclesiastical authority. Um, but here's the thing about Solid Rock, and this is different from other churches. I beg our ecclesiastical authority to give at least 10 positives before they have, ever have to give any one correction. And even with that, I ask them to, you know, let, let kind of me and let the administrative pastor, if there needs to be corrected, let us handle it. Because our job is to be edifying, encouraging, and comforting. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14.3. This is the New Testament prophet. In other words, a, a prophet is someone that hears from God and speaks on his behalf, right? Old Testament, that's what you needed. 
You had to find that. The New Testament prophet, the roles have been reversed. They are no longer at the top. They're actually underneath you. You hear from God even before them. You don't need a prophet to hear God's plan for your life. It's great and it's helpful, but you don't need it. All, you need a prophet that will always do this, speak to you for edification, encouragement, and comfort. In other words, if a church friend is not doing this, arp them. If they're not doing this, you have my permission to arp them. So in 1975, true story, this young man uh, was coming home from college. And he was failing out in college miserably. He had the wrong relationships. There were some other side issues going on in his life. And he went to his mom's beauty shop to visit her as he was home that summer. And, and when he walked in, there was an older woman getting her hair done named Ruth Green. Ruth was an elder in her church. She actually had a gift of prophecy. And when she saw the young man walk in, she said, somebody get me a pen and a piece of paper. I got a prophecy for this young man. Now, later, when the young man tells the story, he was just recently he told actually at a college that he was at, he said there were so many things this woman could have told me. She could have told me that um, you need to start hanging out with the better people, better crowd. She could have told me you need to get off drugs. She could have told me you need to start doing better in school. But here's what this woman did. She got the piece of paper and pen and she said this. She said, young man, you are going to speak to millions. You will travel the world and you'll make a positive difference in mankind. It looked like Ruth was crazy, but she handed the prophecy to the young man and the young man, Denzel Washington, he put that prophecy in his wallet. And to this day, Denzel still has those prophetic words with him everywhere he goes. And he said, there's so many things she could have told me. I need to change this, fix this. I'm doing this wrong. But her encouraging, edifying and comforting words is actually the very thing that got me back on track. And to this day, those words, that prophecy has still been a safeguard for my life. It's led me to where I am today. That's the type of authority God gives us. Second Corinthians 13, 10 to build people up and not to tear them down. Point number three is this. <clears throat> God encourages me through church friends. This is your role. This is your responsibility. This is also where art comes in. Hebrews 10, 25, do not avoid worshiping together as believers and let us encourage one another. If someone in this church wants to change you more than they encourage you, if they want to fix you or rebuke you more than they want to love you, please, by all means, art them. If they constantly come to you, well, God has a word for you, and it's not edifying, encouraging, and comforting, you can say to them, I have a word for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this, make it your ambition to live quietly and mind your own business. Now, for some of y'all, that one scripture was worth the drive to this church today. You can send that reference to your family. You can send that reference to those weirdos you only hang out with on Thanksgiving and Christmas. You can send that reference to anybody you want to. Just read first. I was just looking at the Bible. I thought about you. I was just reading through 1 Thessalonians 4. And I just, you were on my mind when I got to verse 11. <laughs> we will never enjoy the people God put in our life if we're always trying to change them. And I really want to encourage you that are married, please. Your spouse did not marry their parent. They married their best friend. Proverbs 21, 9, it's better to live on a roof exposed to weather than in a house with a nagging and fault-finding 
woman, or man. I'm going to say that. I don't want to be sexist. So i got to make sure I throw the man in there. It, it, listen, you say, I've told him ten times to stop leaving his trash. In the, listen, then you nag. Well, what do I do if he doesn't change? You show him mercy and you do it yourself and serve because that's what we do when we love each other. Well, I've asked her five times to unplug the curling iron before it burns our house down. Why won't she listen to me? Why won't she change? Do you think they do it on purpose? Do you think they actually think, you know what, I really want to ruin my spouse's day. I want to aggravate them. So I'm going to intentionally do the very thing they're asking me not to do. They don't think that way. No, after you ask once, that's it. After that, you just do it yourself and you love them and you let God speak to them. Especially if they're in a church where they're hearing applicable words from God. God is changing your spouse. Don't ever think he needs your help to do that. Ephesians 5.33, a woman is to respect her husband and vice versa. A man is to respect his wife. You know, the first funeral my dad took me to made such an impact in my life. I was real little and I remember it, the first thing that made an impact was that the, the wife, because the husband had passed away, they weren't old. They were in their 50s. They weren't, and I remember thinking, wow, somebody can die in their 50s. I had no idea when I was a child. And so the woman, the wife, gives the eulogy. And I'll never forget, she said this. She said, you know what? Every hunting season, my husband, he'd go out every weekend with his buddies and go shoot deer. And he'd come back and he'd be so excited from his day and also so exhausted. You know, he's up all morning. He'd walk into the house with his muddy boots on every time. She said, I would get so upset. I'd say, what are you doing to stop coming in the house with your muddy boots? Clean them off outside. And he'd say, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I just forgot. I was just excited. Or I was worn out or I'm sorry, you know, I'll do it. He said, once again, the following weekend, same thing. She said, I would get so upset. It would cause such a big fight in the house. At the eulogy, she said, if I could go home today and see those muddy boots come walking in the front door, I would give anything for that. I'd let him walk all through the house. He could jump on the bed, jump on the sofa, just come walking in the front door. How sad is it that God puts people in our life and they're celebrating our strengths and we find that weakness and we're like, now that's my job to step in and do something about it. It's incredibly, incredibly disrespectful. My favorite scripture in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we continue to behold the word of God. Okay, yes or no? Are we in this church continuing to behold the word of God? Yes. Okay. We are constantly being transformed. Are we constantly being transformed? Yes. Into the image of the pastor? No. Into the image of our spouse? No. Into the image of our parents? No. Into the image of God? Yes. For, look, watch this, the best part. From one degree of glory to another. Okay, listen. The person next to you, they might not be at the same degree of glory you're in. That's okay. Because you were once where they were at. And then there's somebody that was, and then you were even lower than that. It's okay that we're all at different degrees. Now, this, watch this. Which comes from, do you know you can't even change yourself? And you want to change somebody else? You can't even, if we could change ourselves, I would be the most mature pastor in the world. That's what I would want to do is change me. I can't even change me and I'm going to try to change you. It comes from the spirit and it'll always come from the spirit. So if you ever want anybody to change, you just encourage them to spend time with God. He's the changer. You're not. 
The more we encourage people to get in the presence of God, God will change them in his timing and the degree of glory he wants them to be in. And you get to just stand back and say, thank you, Jesus, because you treat me the exact same way. I want to close with this story. Um, it's a true story. I read about this football game. Took place. I, I actually did read about a football game. I thought it was um, soccer at first, but I kept reading anyway. Years ago, this, these teams were in the playoffs. There was a few seconds left of the game, and the visiting team was down by two points, and they were about to attempt a field goal to win the game. And the kicker, he was on the field getting ready for the biggest kick of his life, and the opposing team, remember, they're, in the, they're not at the home. They're, they're the visitors. And so the opposing team's fans were in the stands just hollering and screaming and booing and trying to distract them. It was the last play. And the opposing team called a timeout. And we found out later they told they did that so they could give time for all the fans to intimidate the kicker as long as they possibly could. To make things worse, on the big screen, you know, like they have there at the football games, they started playing all the times that this kicker had missed the field goal. And he's just standing back watching this take place, even times from years before when he first started his career. The people in the stadium were going crazy. But with 80,000 people screaming against him, he stepped up, he kicked the ball, it went right through the uprights, and they won the game. Afterwards, a reporter asked him, how did you do this with the pressure of 80,000 people screaming against you? He looked at her and said, I wasn't really thinking about them. The reporter said, well, what about on the big screen when they were playing all your failures from the past? He said, I saw that, but I didn't pay it much attention. She said, well, what were you thinking about? He said, I was so busy thinking about my very first football game. He said, my dad, who went on to be with the Lord, he said he was screaming and cheering as loud as he could for me at that game. He looked at the reporter and said, my dad cheering in my head was louder than 80,000 people screaming against me. And I told you that because I'm the pastor, so I know y'all. I know, I know secret sins. I know worries. I know stress. I know battles. Okay, listen, everybody in this room from the stage all the way to the very back of church. Every one of us have 80,000 demons screaming against us every single day. There's stress that some of you can't even comprehend. There's sicknesses, diseases, financial problems, divorce. There's depression. People battle in this room where they battle suicidal thoughts. The last thing anybody wants to hear when they come in this place is you're not good enough, you're not doing right, we want you to change. I want everybody that comes in this church to constantly hear the voice of Solid Rock saying, you're anointed, God has a great plan for your life, and you will fulfill your destiny. That's what we need to leave here with. guilt, the shame, the disappointments, the confusion. There's so much confusion in our world. Our teenagers, our children, they don't even know what they battle. It's not like it used to be in school. You have no idea. We need to hear God saying you can do it. 
You can make it. We got your back. That's what people need to hear when they come here.